Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Composer Nathan Johnson has been working with his cousin filmmaker Ryan Johnson on a majority of his canon. He's here today to talk about Glass Onion on Crew Call. So Ryan and you, your cousins, uh, where did the bulk of the hanging out go on? Was it in Colorado? On vacation? Was it in San Clemente? Uh, all of the above, but we, we both grew up in Colorado together when we were pretty young, and that was where we first started making movies and music together in the suburbs of Denver. And then what is, I want to know what this pre-USC canon for him exists of. Is there, were you making movies up until teenage dumb? I mean, yeah. I know the story about Hook, the Hook soundtrack and the VCR, you know, but was it, was it an, was it an arsenal of them? What did you shoot on? Yeah, we, we would shoot on kind of, you know, the evolving technology. So it started with, um, you know, a, I, the earliest that I kind of remember was like eight millimeter. I'm not sure we, if we, we, there was like when we were really young, there was some janky camcorder that wasn't even a format. Um, but yeah, we, we, we uh, you know, every, every time we would get together, we would just make a movie and, you know, we have a, a huge family, so tons of younger cousins and we would just kind of spend a two week vacation making a movie with all of our younger cousins and then present it to the, uh, the adults at the end of the vacation. <laughs> what was the, again, pre pre brick, what was the pinnacle film that you got? What, what was the most epic film that you made? Was it, was it his evil demon, evil demon golf ball from hell? Thesis? Well, evil demon, <clears throat> evil demon was his uh, USC final project. Um, so yeah, that, that by, by that point it had gotten, um, you know, it was shot on film and it was very professional. Uh, but, uh, yeah, this prior to that, I mean, none of the, none of the family movies were that, were that professional. They're, they're hidden in a drawer and will never be revealed to the public. And then were, were you always music or did you do other things? Were you camera? Yeah, we would kind of, we would kind of all shoot and edit. Um, At that point, we weren't, you know, when we were kids, we were not making new music for the movies. We were, we were, you know, like, like you heard, I think Ryan talk about, we would, we would have a CD um, of John Williams music, and we would use that to, uh, to score the movies. So Brick was really the first time, you know, I had, I had also been in bands growing up. So I was kind of more on that track. And then Brick was the first time that Ryan was like, "Hey, do you wanna do you wanna do the score for this?" And I dove in headfirst without knowing what I was doing. What was your first instrument? Uh, guitar. And then, and then you conti- did you did you continue? Did you like get onto piano and other things? Yep. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I love writing on lots of different instruments. Um, I kind of find that, you know, you sit, you sit down at a different instrument and it totally changes the way you're going to write. You, even if you're sitting down at an instrument that you're not very familiar with that, you know, you, you get out of your brain, you get out of your, your, um, you know, kind of your, your familiarity and your, your fingers don't exactly land on their normal places. But yeah, I, I love changing it up when I'm writing. One of the things that blew my mind was that Danny Elfman told me once, and I was in complete awe, but then realized maybe this just happens with all musicians, is that he's like, I can pick up any instrument and play it. And I was like, huh? I was like all like, I was all, uh, I was all gobsmacked and amazed. But that's, that's part of the chorus for any musician. You know, if you're, you know music, you could pick up a clarinet, you could pick up a trumpet. No? You would not want to hear me play clarinet. I mean, I, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll add this caveat. Um, I love, I love writing on lots of different instruments, but, um, but I, I very heavily rely on the amazing orchestral players that we get to use to translate that. Um, yeah, you, it, it, they, they get, they get me by for, for writing, but, uh, but I, I wouldn't want to be the one performing. So tell us about, tell us about your arc. Ryan goes to USC. You go to England. Yep. And you start with the cinematic underground. Underground, yeah. I had, um, I actually recorded most of that album when I was still in America, um, but we were kind of putting it up on its legs in a live show out in England, and um, and that was around the time that Ryan was uh, he started editing Brick. He was just working on it in his bedroom on Final Cut Pro. And, uh, and so simultaneously I had like a power book and a single microphone and I started kind of pulling in the musicians I knew and we, we recorded the entire score in, in my apartment, um, with, a, you know, with a single microphone and we were, you know, we were using wine glasses instead of a string section. We were beating on filing cabinets instead of timpanis you know it was it was very much a diy like such a low budget movie so we didn't have the funds to to actually you know kind of do it the way that i imagined it was done so it was uh, it was very much um but it was also kind of leaning into that broken aesthetic which ryan really wanted you know it, it was i think brick is the story of of a high school where everyone listens to tom waits instead of you know pop pop music so that that all of that i think really served the vibe that we were trying to go for and then um, i i remember this being a focus features film yeah was this was this did they did they wind up acquiring this at a sundance yep um focus we we played at sundance um and then focus distributed focus got it at sundance and distributed it after it was and when you know when it, you're his cousin, there's never been a fight that he's had to have with a studio to say, "Hey, listen, my cousin works on this. Trust me." I, it sounds like uh, I don't know. Proof, I think you know, I think your work I think speaks he, for itself. I mean, not uh, th thank you, but I I think uh, I think at the beginning it is that you know like um, I I don't know what all is going on be behind the closed doors, but you know he's. He's also been working with Steve Yedlin, who he met in film school. And 
so I think there's there's probably some degree of like, no, this is my team. This is how we do it. We've been doing this for years. Um, the, it's important to, you know, to work with these people. And then he told the story that he couldn't get you on Last Jedi and that the <laughs> make good was an autograph, uh, you know, uh, of the CD of Hook, which, by the way, I have upstairs as well. Such a good, uh, such a good album. The um, Far and Away, that's my, did you ever hear Far and Away? The John Williams? Oh, you got to listen to that. Oh, it's, it's, it's very Celtic. The, the Ron Howard film. Oh, oh nice. Mind-blowing. Very Irish. You have to, oh my God. And very different for John Williams. Yeah, um, yeah. The, um, but, but with, but that's an interesting, funny story. I mean, was, because John, you know, you, you know, John, John works here and there now, but with Last Jedi, he was locked and loaded, period. Oh my gosh, they, they hired John Williams before anyone else on the Star Wars movies, right? I mean, it's... Yeah. Hey, that's just one of those one of those franchises where as much of it is is like related to his score. It's it's amazing. Um, yeah, I, I, thankfully I got to be at the recording sessions, which as a kid who grew up idolizing John Williams was just you know just the most amazing thing to get to be in the room when when they when they play the opening fanfare. <laughs> to do versus the first film the first film main theme string quartet and in this it is just how big is your orchestra yeah so we did a, a 70 piece live orchestra recorded at abbey road which is also where we recorded the first knives out um but yeah for this one we we just kind of wanted to push it all all bigger while at the same time um, still kind of honoring this, this, this sandbox that we had established for the first Knives Out. Um, you know, Ryan was really excited about, um, about being able to hear all the instruments, right? A about it being precise and sharp rather than just kind of a wash of sound. So even though we're going really big, we are still really focus focusing on melodic motifs and, um, and also you know, miking the orchestra and and paying attention to um, to this this precision that's all functioning between all the different sections. But with as far as your budget, did like on on the original film, did you just have a quartet or we did uh, we did a full orchestra as well on the original film, but not as big as Glass Onion. Um, and then he was referencing Nino Rota. Yeah. I Can mean, you talk about that. Well, it, Nino Rota is like one of my all-time favorites, and obviously, we grew up kind of loving, really these you know these melodic focus composers, right? And and film composition has um, has almost moved kind of away from that recently. 
um, it, to more, you know, to ambient textural percussive things. And, and we grew up loving, um, you know, Nino Rota, Morricone, John Williams. And, and these are, these are composers who, who just really make their imprint with these indelible melodies. And, um, you know, so getting ready for Glass Onion, that's one of the things we we're talking about. Nino Rota's score for Death on the Nile, this, this sort of opulent, um, lush, romantic European sound. And, um, and so that, that was kind of what we were going for with this, you know, Ryan, it, these are mysteries, obviously, but they want to be fun entertainments, right? It, it, Ryan talks about when he's writing this, he doesn't want to craft a crossword puzzle. He wants to craft a roller coaster ride. And, and so as we begin talking about the score, he's, he's talking about leaning into the, the adventure, the voyage, the excitement, um, while at the same time bringing in all the tense elements that a murder mystery is going to need to have. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's the process like? Does he roll off footage to you as he's shooting it and send it to you? Or do you get the film in thirds? I, it actually starts much earlier than that. So at script stage, he sends it to me. Um, and then I'm on set with, a, you know, I, I bring like a writing rig. So for this film, that meant that um, I got to go to spend time in Greece with, with, you know, kind of at this amazing location. But I'm on set every day watching the performances, kind of, um, kind of seeing the whole movie come off the page and and develop with with these amazing actors and then I'm writing really early ideas for melodies you know I'll I'll be I'll be playing those for Ryan as we're shooting and he it you know he can kind of tweak them or say a bit more in this direction so it's it's very much all of it begins developing at the same time together and that's an anomaly for a composer to be on the film set i it, yeah yeah really a, really a, a rare luxury. I mean, often, you, you know, you hear these stories of composers that are brought in with a few weeks to, to score the whole film at the very end of the process. But, um, but obviously, with, you know, with with our relationship, it's something that that we can just start really early on. And it's, it's kind of just the way that we've always done it. Are dailies being shown literally with samplings of your score? No, no, not at that point. It's just it's basically it's it's like this time and space for me to go down alleyways right to just really branch out and explore different themes um and then that starts happening once we get in once we get a first edit we get a rough edit and then i start putting stuff up to picture and uh sending sending things over to the edit room now like you said it's a roller coaster ride you set mood quite beautifully and in a very epic way but with these whodunits is music a tease to the setup of a clue? Yeah, to point it, us in the direction. I think so. I mean, I definitely think about it that way, and I I think this is one of those things, maybe on a, a second or third listen, where where you might be able to start picking this up. I, I think 
generally the music is happening in a, you know, in a, in kind of a subtle under under the table way. But I am playing around with the different characters' motifs, and you know, in in Glass Onion, for instance, there there are themes that are that are really identified with certain characters, but another character at a time might steal that theme. And these are all these things underneath that's happening that you know I'm thinking about, sort of as sort of as, as a, an emotional storytelling method um, that may not, that may not always get picked up, but, but they're definitely woven through the film. And then talk about the new character themes that you developed for this. Like yeah. Janelle Monet's character has a theme. Yep, Andy's theme is is kind of one of the key ones that I cracked, and that that one, you know, I, I first of all, her performance is is just off the charts. I, I love what she did with this role, and and it was just it was just kind of mind blowing to see her craft that in real time on set. But but then you get back and you start working with the picture, and and it almost unlocks a whole other level. And and I was like, oh wow, look at look at what she did. So, so that theme was really, um, was really a nice challenge to me because it, it's something that, um, you know, without giving away anything, it's something that, uh, that really, uh, I don't know, it's, it's almost like the, the groundwork that, and we can, we can interpret that, um, as we follow her emotional arc through the story, we can, we can kind of present it in different lights and, um, and move from, you know, from this power to this, um, you know, to, to this vulnerability. And, and I, I don't know, I'm, I'm like stammering around talking about her amazing performance and trying to, trying to evoke some of, some of that range in the music, but, but really it's, it's just tapping into what, what she did and, and getting to express that in some musical way. What were the new instruments that you introduced for the sequel? So we brought in harpsichord. That's really prominent. In I this. was going to say, I was going to say, and it's wonderful. He, oh, yeah. thanks. Yeah. And, and that was, yeah. that, that was actually a Ryan ask, you know, I think he, I think he related that to all of these mysteries that he watched growing up. And, um, uh, and then we, we also brought in Greece. Tune, yeah. Also the Greece fact. Yeah. Yeah. And tune glass. So there's, um, there's the, you know, we, we used lots of tune glass back on brick, but now we, we kind of bring that in again. And there's, there's, you know, there's these like haunting, um, tune glass elements as well as a percussive tune glass motif that, that appears throughout the movie, um, that's played with mallets on glass. Um, we brought, we brought the quartet back again. So there's a new string quartet for this, but it's supplemented by essentially by the orchestra going bananas. Um, yeah. And it was, it was just fun again to, to kind of, to, to use knives out as a jumping off point. But it, like we were saying, you know, this is a whole, whole new mystery, whole new, excuse me, whole new cast of characters. Um, and so that, that's, that's a really fun and rare sandbox to get to play in where we, we kind of know the world, but we're doing a whole new, a whole new mystery. 
Growing up, the two of you, what was your cinematic core? What were what were like your top five films? Obviously, Star Wars. Yeah. Um, but what else? Was there was there anything eclectic that both of you connected on where you're like, yeah, and you know, where you had that that spiritual yeah. blood brother bond. Yeah, totally. I mean, and Ryan's a few years older than me, so really what it was like is he would find these movies and and pass them along to me. You know, it, it felt like, it kind of felt like, I mean, we're cousins, but it felt like an older brother scenario. So he's suddenly discovering, you know, Fellini, and um, he's like, oh, you got to watch Eight and a Half, you know? And it's, so it's, I, I feel like in a, in a way, it, like a lot of my understanding of the cinematic language, of how stories work, comes from him you know he would I remember early on he sent me uh, a biography of George Lucas and he would you know it but we're the, we're like film geek kids you know we're, we're devouring anything we can get you know looking through the industrial light and magic books to to figure out how they did the special effects and and me geeking out on finding out how Ben Burt would make the the Star Wars lightsaber sounds um, you know and that that played a lot into how we did the score for Looper, which was all field recordings. So I was on set with a field recorder, you know, recording industrial fans and treadmills. And then I, I kind of morphed all of those into the score. So, yeah, I mean, obviously it's, it's like such a great sandbox to play in, but I, but I, I've talked about this a while ago, you know, to the extent that any score has the ability to be exciting or bold or boundary pushing, that all really comes down to the director choosing not to sand off the rough edges. You know, it's, it's, um, and a producer kind of protecting that and, and trusting in that ability, you know, and Ryan, Ryan doesn't want it to be polished and slick. He wants it to have that, that unique imprint. And so throughout the entire process, he, he really protects that and is always kind of egging me on to surprise him to, to bring something new and fresh and different to the, to the table. And then what are you working on next? So I'm actually right now in the middle of working on, uh, Ryan's doing a TV series called Poker Face with Natasha Leone. So, um, it's kind of a, kind of a, um, a case of the week, detective series uh and yeah the score is a, a total left turn on that we're doing something really fun any inspirations there can you give us a hint uh I'll, is there a clarinet i'll i'll say that i'll tell you this i bought a banjo and and started figuring out how to play the banjo for this one that's not what you were expecting <laughs> no i love it i love it uh have you seen the script the third knives out uh, I, Ryan has not seen the script of the third knives out. He, as soon as he writes it, I, I, I will, uh, I will let you know. <laughs> Nathan Johnson. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the crew call podcast on deadline. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So you never miss an episode.